Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're looking at verses 10 through 13. This is our Joy to the World teaching series. Joy and Discontentment is the title of this weekend's message. We wrap this series up next week, so we got one more, and then we head into a brand new teaching series. The next teaching series is a two-weeker. We're going to look at uh, Romans chapter 7, calling it Vertigo, the War Within. And we're going to talk about how we all struggle with the issues of our life, so we'll be looking at that for two weeks. Good news of great joy. Jesus is coming to this earth with good news of great joy. Paul is teaching us, and we've been learning how we can apply this good news of great joy to every aspect of our lives. And today we look at joy in discontentment. Take a look at your sermon notes there, part of the intro. Contentment is a rare commodity today. Would you agree with that? Even in the midst of vast abundance of our society, contentment makes poor men rich, and discontentment makes rich men poor. If you're not careful, you can go from cradle to grave discontent. There's a gravestone in England that says on the gravestone, she died for lack of things. And then right next to it, another grave marker that says, he died trying to give them to her. Somebody said, over here, preach it. Can any men relate to that this morning here? How many men want, to, want me to talk more about that topic right now? I better not. Let me ask you this question. Who is more content, a guy with $7 million or one with seven children? Are you guys, <laughs> you guys are struggling over that one. The answer, the guy with seven children, because he don't want no more. Okay, that's a bad joke. Enough of the bad jokes. Paul has faced a full range of circumstances, and even while writing this thank you letter to the church in Philippi, he's under great duress, and yet, and yet he epitomizes contentment. So we're going to learn how we... We're going to, we can, how can we learn to be content in every situation and circumstance? In fact, let me ask you this question. Would people consider you, when they look at your life, would they consider you a content person, that you're very contented or you're very discontent? Which would best uh, represent or best characterize who you are? Maybe you're a little confused about the definition. We'll try to clear up that, uh, that confusion this morning as it relates to this topic. In fact, we're going to look at what it isn't, what contentment isn't, what it is, and then we'll wrap it up by talking about how to get it. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment this morning. Let's pray. Once again, go before the throne of grace. God, we are, we are amazed at your beauty, your glory, your splendor this morning once again. Every day, every day we have opportunity to encounter you, to know you. Your tender mercies are new every morning. God, you're sovereign, you're all-knowing and wise. You have an everlasting love for each and every one of us. You're ever-present with us, you're holy, you're faithful, you're unchanging. Lord, may the reality of who you are sink deep within our hearts and may it bring contentment and peace. God, this morning, um, we were reminded a week ago yesterday of this Tucson tragedy, and it was a reminder to all of us of John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to kill still and to destroy. But you have come that we might have life and have it to the fullest, that even in tragedy, you can bring our good and your glory. We pray you'd continue to do that in this Tucson tragedy. God, we pray this morning that you would teach us how we can be content in every situation because we have you. And that this joy, this deep, durable delight in your beauty, glory, splendor, in who you are and what you've done that ruins us for anything else, this buoyancy based on the pleasures we find in your eternal privileges that you have provided for us, that you give to us by your grace through the cross. Help us to learn more about that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said... 
Amen. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Let me read through the text and then we'll go through and unpack, unpack this uh, text. And we'll fill in the blanks to our notes. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, <clears throat> but had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Let's read this next verse aloud and together. Very familiar verse. Verse 13. Are you ready? One, two, three. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Powerful section of scripture. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to look at what it isn't, contentment, what contentment isn't, what it is, and then how to get it. Here's the first one, what it is. And I'm going to race through these very quickly, these, this first section. So get ready to write fast. And... Uh, the first one is, it's not loving everything just the way it is. What it isn't. This is what contentment isn't. It's not loving everything just the way it is. I gave you some, and you'll notice on, on your notes, I'll usually give you a lot of different verses. Sometimes I'll cover them, I'll allude to them, I'll maybe talk briefly about them. Other times I'll just let you look those up on your own, and I would encourage you to look these verses up that are next to these points uh, on your own as you study through the growing notes. Uh, these verses will give you a little further explanation or even application or illustration to these points. Here's the next one. It's not a lack of drive or desire to succeed. Contentment isn't, it is not a lack of drive or desire to succeed, nor is it, here's your next thought, it's not fatalism. Whatever will be, will be kind of an attitude. Fatalism is the acceptance of all things and events as inevitable. And if that were the case, we wouldn't have verses like 1 Corinthians 7, 20 through 21. You can read that on your own. But James 5, 16, where it says, The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. And uh, we wouldn't have verses like that in the Scripture if that were the case. And so here's the last point. It's not laziness. Contentment. It is not loving everything just the way it is. It's not a lack of drive or desire to succeed. It's not fatalism. Whatever will be, will be. And it's not laziness. The Bible talks a lot about living a disciplined, diligent life. But let me kind of sum all of those up right here with this next point. Next couple fill in the blanks. This is what I've learned in my own life and as it relates to looking at people who are content and discontent. Discontented people are driven to succeed out of an emptiness, more out of a self-centeredness or their own, own glory. But contented people are inspired to succeed out of fullness, out of God-centeredness and God's glory. Because we know that ultimately uh, contentment comes from God. It comes from knowing God, walking with God, experiencing God, because that's what you and I were created for. We were created uh, as objects of God's love to have relationship with God, and that's really, he's the only one that can ultimately satisfy our deepest needs. And so when we do that, we come to him and we receive the value that he places upon us and we begin to understand him more clearly and we interact with him. He fills our lives up. He gives us a sense of contentment. Otherwise, everything we do is in an effort to fill, fill that void, that emptiness inside. My wife and I enjoy uh, watching, I don't know if I should say enjoy because I guess it I don't know if there's a little bit of delight, but there is, I guess. It's just 48 hours, uh, these uh, murder mysteries, these true stories. It's really quite interesting. And I think the reason why I like watching them is to try to find out what in the world went down in their life. Why, what caused them to be on this path? What caused this person to murder this other person? And usually, uh, probably 10 times out of 10 is what happens is that I've often seen where these young gals or guys will get into relationships prematurely without really knowing this person. They typically say, well, we just fell in love. And two weeks later, two months later, they're getting married. But I really didn't, they didn't really know the person. There was one on last night. It was really interesting. And it was evident that this gal and all these other gals that this guy was duping, uh, they didn't know him. Because to know someone, it takes time and performance. To, to establish trust, trust can't be demanded. 
It's earned over time and performance. And so oftentimes you hear these people say, well, we just fell in love. Well, no, that's not love. It's actually lust, okay? Because, because love uh, waits. Love uh, spends time getting to know the person. Love has to do with uh, understanding who this person is. And so there's, there's much more to that. And so almost 10 times out of 10, that would be, that's one of the factors that creates this, this murder mystery. Really quite interesting. And you've heard me say this statement many times before here. It's kind of a classic statement here at Desert Breeze. Is that if I try to find intimacy with another person before achieving a sense of identity on my own through Christ, all of my relationships will become an effort to complete myself. And not just relationships, but your job or whatever you do in life, if you don't start with your contentment in Christ and filling your life up with Him, then everything you do, not just relationships, you're going to pursue that job or that hobby or politics or any number of things that you pursue more out of an emptiness, out of a, out of a void inside to try to fill that void. And, and so contented people are actually, they, they're, they're high performers. They, they, they strive for excellence, but it's for different reasons. It's not to fill the emptiness inside, but it's, but it's to put on display the glory of God, really. It's, it's really people who know God and find that contentment in Him because He's really the only source of contentment on this planet Earth. And when you find that contentment in Him, then you're able to really give of your life like you should and can, and that's what makes for healthy relationships. And it took my wife and I Probably primarily me more so than her, probably a couple decades to learn that. Because I kept trying to find my sense of identity through her and through how she responded to me. And so it's really important to understand that for our lives. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. What is he talking about there? He's talking about contentment. He's talking about a quality of life that cannot be found anyplace else on this planet Earth. 2 Corinthians 5.14, this is a fascinating verse. This is what Paul says. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. You hear what he's saying? He says, our, our adequacy, our fullness comes from Christ. His love controls us. It, it, it inspires us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. So he's talking about the substitutionary uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, identifying with that. When we're baptized, that's what we're identifying with. That's what he's talking about here. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. So we live for ourselves because we're empty inside. We're trying to fill the void inside of us. But for him, for, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So, so, the, so the thing that changes me from living a, a self-centered, self-absorbed... By the way, that's part of what uh, you know, we're really all about. That's, that's at the root of our issues, is self-centeredness, self-absorption. And it's because we're empty. And it's because we need to go to the Creator who created us and get that sense of identity and significance and security and acceptance from Him. And you just don't do it once and it's over. You do it every day. Every day you keep coming back before Him. And you fill your tank up. It's like putting your heart under the fountain, your heart like a bucket under the fountain of His love each and every day. And uh, it's so critical because then it's out of that, then you're able to make wise decisions. Otherwise, you're just making those out of a deficit, not out of an abundance. You're going to make wrong decisions when you do that, by the way. You're going to run into relationships prematurely. You're going to get jobs. You're going to spend money recklessly. Because why? A lot of times our impulsive, compulsive spending habits are coming out of this emptiness inside, trying to fill this void. When if we would just go to the Father, there would be a lot of things that we would be able to say no to because we have that sense of contentment in Him. So it makes, I mean, it's a, it makes a significant difference in our lives and how we do life. I want you to do this real quick. Turn to the person next to you and, and try to see if you can come up with maybe one of the top five or ten <laughs> of New Year's resolutions that people make every year. This is the, you can do a Google search and find these out, and it's really quite interesting. Real quick, do that. Okay, so uh, what did you guys come up with? Did you guys come up with one or two? What, what would you guys say? Anybody over here, right here in this section? Someone say money? Yeah, money, trying to manage our money better. That was actually one of the top ten. Anything else? Exercise, lose weight. Yeah, that, there's three right there. Anything else come to mind? Find love? Okay. Okay. 
Anything else come to mind? Find a church? Is that what you said? That was not even on the list. (laughs) And it doesn't surprise me in our society today. Yeah. Quit smoking? Yeah, actually, that was number one on the one list that I found. Stop smoking. Here they are. Stop smoking. Get into a habit of being fit. Lose weight. The battle bulge. Enjoy life more. Quit drinking. Organize yourself. Learn something new. Get out of debt. Spend more time with family. Help people. Those were some of the top ones. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of these. And maybe one or two of these are things that you aspire to, to accomplish this year. And, and that's cool. But let me ask you, why? why? Why would you want to do any of these? Why would you want to do any of these? Why would you want any of these? And here's the interesting. I listened to this. Uh, I listened to a message by John Piper here. He was at Passion 2011. I got it, got it on the download on the Internet. It was live, and I had a chance to listen to him. And he, said, he had a really an interesting illustration. He was talking about getting down to the bottom of things, getting to the bottom of things. And he used this illustration. He said, oh, okay, you're happy. What's the bottom line of your happiness? Why are you happy? Oh, you, you got a great grade. You got your, your report card back or whatever for college, and you got a great grade. Why are you happy? Because I got a great grade. Why, why does that make you happy? Well, it's because uh, it'll, help me, it'll help me to get into graduate school. Okay, so, so why? Why do you want to go to graduate school? It's because I want to be a counselor, a therapist. Okay, so, so why do you want to be a counselor and a therapist? It's because I want to help people. So why do you want to help people? It's because it makes me feel good about myself. It's about you. It's about you. It's all about you. I mean, whether it be anything we do, it'll either be about you, it'll be out of this emptiness, or it'll be about God. And... Um, it's interesting, two of the classic illustrations that I've used in the past is Chariots of Fire and then Rocky, Rocky One, the classic illustrations. Chariots of Fire, is, in fact, it was on TV last night at the Inspiration Channel, but it was, uh, I don't watch that channel, but uh, <laughs> sorry. I did watch it a little bit because I was, I was intrigued because I thought, oh, that's, it's a great movie. But the, the Rocky movie, it's a 1981 Oscar uh, winner for Best Picture. It's a story of two British track athletes one a determined Jew, Harold Abrahams, and the other a devout Christian, Eric Little, who competed in the 1924 Olympics. It's really interesting, if you get a chance to ever uh, watch the movie, is that there's, a, there's some scenes in there that are really very profound, and these guys say, make statements that kind of define a little bit of why they do what they do. But this Harold Abrahams, uh, there's a scene in the movie where he says, I have 10 seconds. He's running the 100-yard dash. He says, I have 10 seconds to validate my existence. That if I fail, then my existence is invalidated. But if I succeed, then I'm, I'm validated as a person. Isn't that interesting? So uh, why did he run? He ran motivated out of emptiness for his own glory. To where Eric Little, on the other hand, there's a scene in the movie where he's talking to his sister. He was a missionary to China. Eventually died in a prison camp there, actually. And it's interesting is that there's a scene in the movie where he says this. He says, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. To where the one ran for his own glory, Eric Little ran for the glory of God. It's very evident in the movie. In fact, he ran in such an awkward way, they said, that he would run. As he's coming to the finish line, he'd... He'd throw his arms and his head up high, and he said he would literally do that to say, hey, this is for your glory, God. I do it for you and for your glory. You guys are familiar with the movie Rocky, Rocky One in the movie. The main character's girlfriend asked him, Rocky, why it's so important for him to go the distance in the boxing match. Do you remember how he replies? Then I'll know I'm not a bum. So why is he doing that? He's doing that for his own glory. He's trying to fill an emptiness inside. Everything we do, it's either about us or it's about God. So I mean, it makes you have to really think about why we do what we do. And what you're going to find out, you're going to be, you're going to be really convicted over that, and you should, because the closer you get to the light, the more you realize just how messed up you are. 
And oh, by the way, that really that that shows you your need for the Savior. And there is unspeakable joy that comes to your heart over the grace that He provides. That's the gospel. So it's it's pretty amazing. And so you're going to find yourself that you probably live most of your life, really, it's about you. And I do too. We all do that. We're going to talk more about it. That's part of that struggle we're going to talk about here in in a few weeks. There's that struggle inside. There's this war that rages. We're going to work and talk about that struggle and see what that's, what that's all about. So what, what it is, let's talk about that. That's what it isn't, so what it is. Contentment is learned, not acquired. We see that in verse 11 and verse 12. Did you notice what he said in verse 11? He says, I have learned, and then in verse 12 he says, I have learned the secret uh, the word secret is an interesting word. It means to initiate into the mysteries. In other words, you're not going to wake up all of a sudden one day and then you're going to be content. It's something that you have to take the initiative and begin to look and search and learn how to be content regardless of what's going down in your life. And that's what he's saying there. So contentment is learned and not acquired. Here's the next one. It's independent of circumstances. And we know that because in verse 12, I mean, he, he goes the full range of life's circumstances. Did you notice that? Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I've learned to be content. That's verse 11, verse 12. I know how to be brought low and how to abound in any and every circumstances. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Abundance and need. I mean, full range of circumstances. Uh, Sickness or health, poverty or wealth, failure or success, great loss or great gain. He's saying, I've learned to be content. My wife and uh, daughter went to Uganda a few years ago, and I'll never forget what they came back and told me when they talked about the contentment of the Christians over there. They said the non-Christians were pretty much like Americans. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. But they said the Christians over there were much more content than the Christians over here. Does that surprise you? And yet, uh, and yet, uh, what was interesting about that, they had less. They had far less. They were tickled to death to have even running water in their, their little huts, their little homes, if you want to call them that. Or even fire, that they could bring fire in there and, and be able to cook by fire. Or that they had even actually a toilet inside the house. That, that was just like, woo! See, all these things that we take for granted. And she said, here's the major characteristic between those folks and the people in America today was this attitude of thank, thanksgiving and thankfulness. And I really begin to look at my own life is that that's probably the mark of contentment is to have an attitude of gratitude as opposed to an attitude of ingratitude or entitlement, which, which dominates our culture today, even in a land of abundance. And there's so much that we take for granted. And yet um, these people, when they left, Nancy, she tears up every time she talks about this, but these people were just so concerned, more concerned about Christ and exalting Jesus and living for Him because, uh, because they knew Him. They knew Him, and they didn't have all this junk and clutter that got in the way of their life. She said these little kids would actually, what they played with were um, these little uh, plastic bottles filled up with dirt and a stick, and then they would just kind of kick it around and hit it around, and they would take banana leaves and roll it up, and that was their football. That's what they would play with. And she said, these people were unbelievably content because they had Jesus, regardless of what was going on in their life. And then you could, she could tell because there was just this attitude of gratefulness. Thank you for coming. And we'll probably never see you again, but we'll see you in heaven. We love you guys so much. Tell the folks there, thank you so much for all that you do. And it just it, it broke her heart. Nancy just... She would cry when she would tell me that. She, even to this day, she, she thinks about the contentment of these folks and yet had very little. And yet because they had Jesus, they had really everything. So I think there's certainly a lesson that we can learn in that. It's independent of circumstances. This reason why I was asking earlier, what would you be characterized by? Is it gratitude? That you just find that, you know, you're just, you're just happy. And that and it's not based on your circumstances, but even when bad things are happening, you're just happy that you got God in your life and that He's going to take the bad and work it for your good and His glory. And you're convinced of that. And you're going to live in the reality of that. Or is it ingratitude? Is it griping and complaining and murmuring and 
you know, being resentful and regretful. And that, those would be the characteristics of people that are just really discontent. Next point, verse 13 is, is about contentment, not success. <laughs> this is, you know, you go to any Bible bookstore and you got the Jesus junk and holy hardware, okay? And you got, this is, this is one of those verses, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that's always a placard somewhere. And it's bumper stickers and people wear it on their shirts. And, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're reading it in the context. It's not about success. I can do anything I set my mind to. Praise God. Woo, I can take on this world. That's not what it's talking about. He's talking about I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me no matter what goes down in your life. It's about, it's about your circumstances. It's about contentment in good or bad circumstances. That's what it's about. It's not a success verse. <laughs> it's about contentment. Here's the next one. So here's what it is. It is the ability to say, God, you are more than enough. God, you are more than enough. I gave you a bunch of illustrations here, all those verses there. If you'll read those in the context, that'll help you to kind of understand that. But there's one that I didn't put on there that I wanted to bring to your attention. So what he's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In essence, he's saying, God, you're more than enough. Whether I'm sick or healthy, poverty or wealth, failure or success, great loss or great gain, God, you are more than enough. You are more than enough, no matter what's going down in my life. Um, Daniel 3, 16 through 18. Add that to your list and you can study that one too. You guys familiar with this one? The three Hebrew guys? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Oh, it's Daniel. I'm sorry. It's Daniel 3, chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. That's, add that one to the list there. And you can read the other ones on your own. These are different uh, examples of this where God is enough to these different people in the context that they're living. But the one that I, I was thinking about this last week, Daniel three sixteen through 18. You guys remember the three Hebrew guys? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Interesting names. Huh? But these dudes were tough. And Nebuchadnezzar uh, had built this gold uh, statue of himself and said, I want everybody to bow down to this. And these guys said, mm, I'm not, we're not. No way. <laughs> Why is that? I think it's because they found contentment in Christ. And, they weren't, and it created such courage and confidence in them that they could stand before the ruler of the nation knowing that they could lose their life and said, we're not doing it. In fact, this is kind of what they say. They say, when we're supposed to bow down, we want you to know, king, that we won't. In fact, let me read that. I mean, it's, just, it's, a, it's, a good, it's good stuff, man. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is the third chapter of Daniel, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. <laughs> They're just like, who are you? You're the king? Ah, we don't even have to answer you. We answer to God. We answer to him. He's the one's approval that we have. We have his commendation. Your condemnation of us means nothing. We have his favor. We have his smile. Your frown means nothing to us. You see what's going on in these guys' life? And so they said, if this be so, in other words, you're going to throw us in the furnace because we don't bow down. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So, he can... He will, but if he doesn't, he's enough. Do you hear what they're saying? He's more than enough. Now, when you look at the circumstances of your life, you can say the same thing. He can, he will, either in this life or the life to come, but if he doesn't, he's more than enough. He's more than enough. Can you say that? Does that take care of that inner grasping in your heart saying, if I just have this, if I could just get that, I, I know that I would be happy. Does that take care of that, that sense of, and why would you want that anyway? You should want any of those things, not for your glory, but ultimately for God's glory. Any, any reaching out should be coming out of an overflow of His grace and goodness and not out of a deficit in your own life, 
Uh, he, uh, Nancy's been getting these um, um, Groupons. You guys know what Groupons are? So she's uh, pretty smart. She always does a lot of these tricky things. And so she gets these Groupons. And so you can get these. She can buy these like $30 coupons for like $10 or $15 to restaurants in town. So a couple of weeks ago, we went to a Cuban restaurant. It was really cool. Downtown, kind of this little cool garden kind of a place. You know, we ate for 15 and got a $30 meal. And so um, then we went this last week to this uh, Ita- Italian restaurant in uh, Scottsdale. And uh, don't laugh at me. <laughs> yeah, he, oh, he said Italian. I, I. I have God's favor. I don't have to worry about your frown. Okay. I caught that. I, <laughs> I did catch that. You notice that I corrected it after that. Okay. So I went to an Italian restaurant because I'm an okay. And so we, uh, and a uh, great gourmet pizza and a great salad. And, and then we took this, uh, we were kind of full. And you know, they'll always bring you the, the dessert. And imagine you go to your favorite restaurant, have your favorite meal, and then they bring the restaurant, the, uh, the tray, the dessert tray over to you. And typically, I know how I am. It's like, mm, I've had more than enough. More than enough. And, and the, the reason why I'm able to say no is because I've had more than enough. I'm, I know I'm, I'm good. That doesn't even look attractive to me right now. In fact, I'm about ready to throw up if you <laughs> keep that in my face. But... But there's something about that. There's that contentment in Christ. That's how you overcome the temptations of life. If you're struggling with a temptation, and we'll talk about it in a couple more weeks as we talk about the struggles in our life, it's because you need to find that Jesus is more than enough. If you're overwhelmed by trials or the trauma of life, it's because you need to know that Jesus is more than enough. You need to see that He is more than enough. And um, although we did get dessert... And it was a uh, tiramisu and walked down the street where there was a Starbucks. And we hung out there for a little bit and ate the tiramisu. And that was way beyond enough, okay? That was way too much. But uh, we let it digest a little bit and had some fun with that. But what does that mean? It is the ability to say, God, you are more than enough. In other words, your life is not dominated by anything other than God's love for you and your love for God. It is to be so ravished, so ravished by God's love for you that no other love can control you. And even if you do have success in any number of areas of your life, it doesn't inflate you. And if you have failure in any number of areas of your life, it doesn't deflate you because your identity is ultimately in God's love for you and your love for God. Look what Tim Keller says in this quote. If grace has really changed our hearts, we don't ultimately care if life goes the way we want it as long as we have Him. The joys of acclaim, wealth, and power are nothing compared to the eternal acclaim, wealth, and power we have in Him. I I believe that but I don't always live in the reality of that. Would you guys agree with that? You guys were there with me? That's the struggle. That's the struggle. So how to get it? How do we get it? Here we go. You've got to watch out for the contentment killers. The contentment killers. Here's, there's three that I'm going to mention here. Of course, the enemy works through all three of these. But we've got human nature. Our natural inclination, our sinful nature, Romans one twenty five, we exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship and serve created things more than the Creator. We just naturally do that. I'm going to make a whole lot, I'm going to make a lot out of the things of creation rather than allow those to lead me ultimately to the Creator. We tend to get stuck on the things of creation over the Creator. And there's also marketing. Luke 12, 15 uh, Jesus said, beware of greed, beware of desiring after the things that you don't have because real life and real living does not consist in the abundance of the things that a man possesses. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that. Let me give you the last one. Then we've got the American culture, which is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You need to know this about happiness. Happiness cannot be found by direct pursuit, but is a byproduct of a right relationship with God. And, and at the beginning of this teaching series, we made a distinction between what happiness is and uh, what joy is. 
And Matt made a good point at the beginning of the service when I was talking with him a little bit. And I agree with you, Matt. I think that, that certainly there are these joys. He gave me an almond joy bar, which that's one of my favorite candy bars. And I'm going to eat it during the break probably and not share it with anybody. But uh, I'm kidding. Uh, but he said that God gives us, and it's under God's common grace, he gives us a lot of joys in life under his common grace, whether we know him or not. He gives us uh, marriage and children and grandkids and um, sunrise. Did you see the sunrise this morning? It was absolutely beautiful. He gives us all of these things, and there's joy in that. But he gives us those things because they are to, we are to, we are to follow the sunbeam up to the sun. In other words, don't get stuck on any of those things, but chase those up to the Creator and the sustainer of all things. Just to, They give us a glimpse. They have us declare the glory of God. This guy's proclaim the work of his hands. And I agree with that. I think it's wonderful. But oftentimes we get stuck on those things. And so there's this happiness. Happiness, and we talked about it the first week, happiness is, is external, temporal, and, and pretty much self-centered if we stay there. But there is a joy that's internal, eternal and God-centered. And it's when we take all the many blessings that God has given us and we, we continue to go back to Him and thank Him for all that He's provided for us. That when Nancy and I ate the tiramisu the other night, chased it with a, with a latte, when I was sitting there with my bride, I was just enjoying her company and enjoying this tiramisu, chasing it with a latte. And it was just a lot of fun. But I, I remembered, and we always pray, and I remembered, God, this is Your blessing to me. I thank You, God. I honor you. I worship you for my beautiful bride, for my beautiful girl. And I thank you for tiramisu and latte and the money to be able to buy that on another gift card. Thank you. And those that gave me that gift card. And I mean, what's the bottom? What's at the bottom? What's at the bottom of all of that? God wants us to enjoy life, but not as an end in itself but as a means to an end to worship Him and to glorify Him. And, uh, and so you got human nature, marketing, American culture, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And uh, John 2, 15 through 17 talks about the things of this world, um, the pleasures, the possessions, and the positions aren't going to last. So don't build the foundation of your life on those, but build them on the love of God. And he talks specifically about that. Now, let me just share with you real quick. I, I still have time. And uh, there's an interesting book. It's called Affluenza. Doesn't that sound interesting? The book's titled Affluenza. The writers of this book say that affluenza is the excessive desire for more, which is epidemic in our society. One of the things they write is that something's happened that has never happened in the history of the human race. Our children get more information from people who are trying to sell them something than from any place else. The number one source of information for most children in our society is not their parents, not their schools, not their churches. It is someone who is trying to sell them something. Isn't that interesting? Does that shock you? Probably not. Along with that disturbing reality is in the area of social science, there have been some very interesting findings. Studies have found that there is a direct correlation between how much television people watch and how discontented they are in their lives. The more TV we watch, the more discontentment we're going to experience. I mean, I mean, there are billions of dollars spent annually, and all day long, most of us are bombarded with messages that seek to persuade us of two things. The one thing is that we are or ought to be discontent, and number two, that contentment is one purchase away. Those are the two things that, that advertisers are spending billions of dollars to do. We are inundated with, messages, inundated with messages that tell us, use me, buy me, wear me, try me, drive me, put me in your hair. And I started thinking about hair. The things you can buy for hair, hair contentment alone are staggering. You can wash it. And I use a special shampoo that makes it more fluffier for me. <laughs> How many have noticed that? Praise God. It's working. I feel better about myself already. Sean and I. Yeah, right on. So you can wash it. You can condition it. You can mousse it. You can dye it. You can curl it. You can straighten it. You can wax it if it's growing where it shouldn't. 
And you can Rogaine it if it's not growing where it should. I was wrapping up my message just, last, uh, just yesterday, and Nancy walked in the room as I was wrapping up the loose ends of my message, and I asked her, who's sexier, bald men or men with a full head of hair? She looked at me. She laughed at me, and she walked out of the room. She is so mean. Pray for me because I'm hurt. There you go. So uh, if I was hurt, then you really would need to pray for me, wouldn't you? Because obviously misplaced your identity there, Pastor Ray. And so uh, those are the things you have to watch out for. Those are the big things. Take a look at these uh, quotes here. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That's C.S. Lewis. Everything that we... Oftentimes we think that the, uh, the object that stirs up desire will ultimately fulfill us, and so we're driven after that. And actually, every one of us fits in one of three categories. We're either pursuing these things thinking that ultimately they're going to satisfy us. You know, it's the passion of our life. That's what, where our life is headed. Or we become eventually disillusioned because it was never meant for something in creation to meet a need in us that only the Creator can meet. And we become disillusioned and we become bitter and cynical. And a lot of times you get around people that are cynical. Oh, I tried that. And I've just, they just kind of withdraw from life and just back analyzing and being very analytical about life. That's the second category of people. The third category is people that will say, yeah, there isn't anything in this world that ultimately satisfies me like Jesus does. And they, they go to Jesus and find that satisfaction in him. And that's what C.S. Lewis is talking about. He was an agnostic. And yet he realized that there was nothing on this planet Earth that satisfied him until he came to the Savior. Take a look at the next statement by C.S. Lewis. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. He's talking about the eternal privileges we have in Christ as opposed to a lot of the temporal things we have on this planet Earth. So what do we do? Here's what we've got to do. Jesus must become more attractive and satisfying to your heart than anything. After you fill in the blanks, I want you to look up here. I'm going to ask you a question as it relates to that. Jesus must become more attractive and satisfying to your heart than anything. When you get done with that, take a look up here. Everybody look up here. Is he... Is he more attractive and satisfying to your heart than anything? He is. He is. But is he to you? The the fact is, is he is. He's more attractive and satisfying than anything this world offers. He's more attractive and satisfying than anything. And I get glimpses of that from time to time. It just, ah, oh, man, there's nothing like knowing Him and walking with Him and spending time with Him and experiencing Him in the deepest places of my heart. That's the Christian life. I know sometimes I've had people say this to me. Yeah, but you're different. You know, you're a pastor and pastors are supposed to say that. And you kind of, you're all fired up and you talk about this passion of being smitten. Your heart is smitten by Jesus. You're different. You're wired up different. Let me ask you this. Okay, okay. When was the last time... You got all fired up. What stirs your desires, your passions, your, your excitement? What do you get excited about? What do you, what do you talk most about? Sports? Politics? Money? Making money? Your job? Your hobby? The pursuit of this or that? What is it? What is it that excites you? Well, I don't really get excited at all. What are you, dead? You get excited? You get excited. There's things that excite you. And all I'm telling you is that that's a dim glimpse compared to the excitement and the satisfaction and the joy and the beauty 
and the glory of our Savior, our King, the one who bled and died for us. Nothing will satisfy you more. I gave you a bunch of verses there to talk about that. And you can read those on your own. John 4, 13 through 14. He's talking to the woman at the well. I mean, she had been, she had five marriages and then she got rid of the fifth one and she was living with the guy. She was I'm, I'm out on this. Not getting married anymore. Jesus shows up. Doesn't condemn her. Doesn't point a finger of accusation. He just says, man, you're trying to chase after a, this is a wild goose chase without the goose. Don't you understand that? There's nothing in this world that will satisfy you. Only I can satisfy you. Drink from this water, you're going to be thirsty again. But if you come to me, I will give you a water that will satisfy your, your deepest part of your soul. She's blown away. She receives that. She goes home and tells all of her family and friends she's so excited about that water, that living water. Jesus, in 635, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never go thirsty. That is in the present active indicative. In other words, it's something that we do ongoing as we come to him each and every day, as we come to him on weekend services, as we come to him during our small groups, as it we're, we're eating and we're drinking in of all that he does to satisfy us. Here's the next one. Rejoice in the Lord always. It goes back to this the key verse to this whole book. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. This is what it means. Treasure the Lord. Assess his value to you. So treasure the Lord. Assess his value to you. Reflect on his beauty and importance until your heart rests in him and tastes the sweetness of his companionship, causing you to relax your grip on anything you think you can't live without. That's a, that's a long statement, isn't it? Big, big point there, huh? Big ending point. That's what it means to find your deepest satisfaction in Him. And this is how I'm going to end here this morning. I'm just going to, we're going to turn the lights down kind of low, and, and I'm going to read to you, not too low so that I can still read. I guess you'll keep the stage lights on. But I'm going to read to you some excerpts. I started reading to you some of these excerpts from the book, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And I just want you to think about your relationship with God. This is what it means what I just said, this is how you do this. And I, I, read, I read a lot and I take verses and I meditate on them and I reflect on them. But this is what it means to rejoice in the Lord. Listen to his statements here. This is some of the stuff that I shared with you uh, last week and then we're going to go a little bit deeper into this. In fact, if you want, just close your, close your eyes just for a minute and listen to these words. Hang on to your wallet and purse. He was a 17th century monk who found incredible delight in the discipline of practicing the presence of God in the most menial, mundane, and even menacing circumstances. This is what he said. We should practice God's presence through a continuing conversation with Him, that it would be shameful to trade such a relationship for trivial foolishness, and that we should feed our souls on the highest thoughts of God. We can find deep joy, he said, by simply being with the Lord. And that's what we're doing even right now. God's here with us right now to meet with us. We know that based on God's holy word, he sent his Holy Spirit to live within us, to empower us. He goes on and he says, the greatest pains and joys the world has to offer can't compare to the experience of walking with God. For Brother Lawrence, work time was no different than prayer time. Even in the noise and the clatter of the kitchen, he, would, uh, he took care of the pots and pans of this big monastery he says, even in the clatter of the kitchen with different people calling for different things all at once, I still know God's presence with just as much real peace as if I were on my knees at communion. I have no idea how Christians can live satisfied lives without practicing the presence of God. I rest with Him in the deep center of my soul as much as I can. I'm not afraid of anything when I'm with Him in that way. I know I'd fall flat on my face if I turned from him even a fraction of an inch, in the end, it doesn't take skill or a high IQ to come to God, just a heart totally sold out to the Lord, devoted to him alone. I don't know of a better, sweeter life than an unbroken conversation with God. God's presence has become so much a part of my life that it has become the source of nonstop comfort and peace. In fact, for the past 30 years, the joy has been so intense that once in a while I've had to tone it down around people who wouldn't understand. When I realized that God had placed such a great treasure in my heart, I didn't have to go out looking for it anymore. 
I didn't worry about finding any more. I, I didn't worry about finding it anymore because God's beautiful treasure was all there right in front of me. Like an unlimited expense account, I have permission to take and use any part of this treasure I want. We are so blind and should pity those who are satisfied with so little. God has the never-ending treasure. With Him, even the worst day can taste sweet. Without Him, even something like winning the lottery would feel like the worst prison sentence. God is always near you and with you, so don't ignore Him. It would be rude if friends stopped by to visit you and you left them alone, wouldn't it? So why do we ignore God? Don't forget Him. Think about Him all the time. Tell Him you love Him. Live and die with Him because that is our incredible job description as Christians. It's actually our calling, our career, and we need to learn that if we don't know it already. God, thank You for the words of this this man who has stirred up within us a greater appetite for You. Thank You for the words of, of this study here this morning. May we learn to find our contentment in You. In Jesus' name. Stand with me, if you would, please. I put a verse down on the bottom. Why can we do this? What, what should motivate us to do this? Well, you know, it goes back to grace. It's all about grace. And Second uh, Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. He emptied himself so that we can be full. And then it says in Second Corinthians 9, 8, another favorite verse of mine, that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It's called contentment. So go in his contentment today in Jesus' name and let it overflow your life into the lives of those around you. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.